you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this morning, we are asking for a sense of your presence right here and right now. That God, that you would allow us to understand what you have for us as your church in the, the Salem and Silverton area. That God, that you would awaken dead hearts, Lord, that you would uh, bring us to a, a new understanding, a new place of seeking after you and wanting you and desiring what you have for us. God, would you work here right now? Would you work in my heart? Would you work in our, our hearts? Lord, to be passionate for you. Lord, to live for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So glad that you're here with us uh, this morning. My name is Matt Porter. You haven't seen me in a little while. I'm actually your lead pastor. So, uh, <laughs> hi. Good to, good, to, good to see you again. It's been a little while. Thank you for the, the hoot back there. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm the lead pastor of Outward Church. It's one church in two locations. Uh, started in Salem, uh, 15 year, it'll be 15 years this coming uh, August. Uh, obviously, you might know that today is the one-year anniversary of Outward Church in Silverton, right? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah. Uh, praise God for that and for what he's doing here. Uh, we have uh, elders that are out here uh, between uh, uh, Brian and Tim and um, Pastor Ryan uh, Habig, uh, who's on sabbatical right now, he's been out here uh, leading worship. Gray is one of our, our elders as well. And so we're deeply invested in what's happening here and raising up local uh, leaders, uh, local elders as well in the, in the years to come. Won't happen quickly, but, uh, but in the years to come, that'll be taking place. And, and we're just, we're excited about what God is doing here. It's honestly been an amazing, uh, amazing thing uh, to know that this has been happening out here and God has been working uh, in incredible ways. So I'm, I'm praising God for that. I wanted to teach to you today outside of uh, Ephesians because I wanted to bring something to you that I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart for us as a church. I, 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 I believe that we're in a transition period in, in our world today, and the transition period is going from Christianity having this major influence in our world to becoming a, like a byword, a bad word in our world. Uh, that we have gone from this massive tree that has really taken up a lot of the sunshine in uh, America today, and we are very quickly getting cut down. We are very quickly uh, being marginalized. We are very quickly not seeing or experiencing the successes that we may have felt in the past. And what is our place in that? What are we doing here? What are we about as a church? What has God called you to be a part of? What has God, uh, what, what, what has God called you to in your family? What has God called you to in, in your city? What has God called you to on this citywide stage that we have? What are we doing here? Is it just church attendance? Is it, is it just to be nice people? Is it just to be Christian people? Is it, is it to be Republicans? Is it, is it to be Democrats? What has God called us to? And do we understand what that calling looks like? And are we prepared for what may be coming in the future 
And are you ready for that future, whatever it looks like? We're in the book of Isaiah, and he starts out with saying, this is the call of Isaiah in chapter 6. He's just taken the first five chapters to lay out the problem. And the problem is a nation that is in decline. It is, uh, the, uh, it is the, uh, the tribe of Judah, uh, to be exact, that he is prophesying to. And there's a king, and that king, his name is Uzziah. Now what we have to ask is, who is Uzziah? He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, and he's going to begin to talk about his calling. Why did he talk about King Uzziah, and why is King Uzziah, die? why did he die? What's, what's happening here? Well, Uzziah is a king, and he reigned for 52 prosperous and secure years. He, he reigned for 52 uh, secure and prosperous years. It says in 2 Chronicles 26, verses 4 and 5, it says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father uh, Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Here's this guy, this king, and he is seeking after God. He's being discipled by another prophet named Zechariah, and he is after God, and God totally makes him prosper. He totally makes him prosper, and he's going on, and he's doing all these amazing things. In fact, uh, the anchor Yale Bible Dictionary says this, biblical tradition remembers Uzziah as one who mended the defenses of Jerusalem. Reorganized and re-equipped the Judean army, won and capably maintained control over numerous caravan routes in the south, extended Judah's frontiers at the expense of neighboring Philistines and Edomites, and then suffered significant personal setback when he was stricken by leprosy toward the end of his rule. What happened? What happened to this guy? He's been prosperous. There's been fantastic things that have happened. He has been a very successful king. But what took place? It says in 2 Chronicles 26, verses 15 and 16, it says, it, it kind of finishes up by saying, In Jerusalem he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. This guy was industrious. He was, amazing. He was an amazing king. And then it says this, And his fame spread far for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Uh-oh. Till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Let me repeat that. When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. And entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Uzziah got so proudful, prideful, I should say. Don't laugh. I sorry. I, <laughs> he got he got very prideful. All right, because he he says, "Look at all the amazing things that I'm doing." Look 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 at all this stuff. And and one day he walks into the temple and he says, "You know what?" Who cares if the, the, the priests are here? I know they're the ones that are, that are, they're the only ones that are supposed to be burning incense. I want to go burn some incense. Look how successful I am. He walks in and he says, I'm going to do this. And the priests are like, no, don't do this. 
Just because you're king doesn't mean you can do this. And he says, I'm doing it anyway. And so 80 priests try to stop him. And he gets angry and he lifts a scepter. And all of a sudden he's stricken with leprosy. And he is in one moment estranged from God and his presence. He was largely successful through his reign. But he made this misstep and he is estranged from God, estranged from the temple. He's buried somewhere else. He's completely stricken. Why does Isaiah say in the year that King Uzziah died? He says because Uzziah is emblematic and Uzziah is a symbol of what's happening with a nation. And I got to tell you, Christianity has enjoyed great success in America. But something happened, and I don't know what it is. People will figure it out later. Something happened in and through the pandemic where people just decided, you know what? I don't really need God. I don't need the church. And some other people decided, you know what? I hate the church. And some other people were like, yeah, church is cool, but I ain't going anymore. And so the vast majority of churches, not our church, but the vast majority of churches are in decline. And Christianity is on, is on the outs. And what we see is, is happening is this, is that we see pastor after pastor who falls and fails over and over again. Just like many other public figures who are falling, who are being exposed. But pastor after pastor, in late, late in their years, being caught in a hotel room with another woman. Late in their years, everything starts to come out. And what's happening is, is that Christianity is being exposed and it's being demoralized. And I think we're a little bit like Judah. Uzziah was a symbol of a nation that was in decline. And here is Isaiah and he is being called to speak to a nation that is in decline. And I think that there's some words in here for the church. The church or America is not the new Israel, by the way. But I'll just say this. I believe that there's some words in here for the church today. Some words of, of woe, some words of correction. And I think it really has to do with this. What are we doing here? Why did you come today? Why did you start coming to Outward Church? This is a stinking cool environment. There's nowhere else I'd rather be in, in, in Silverton. It's a cool place to go to church. We're going to have a barbecue afterwards. Did that, is, that why you, is that why you came? We got some beer. Is that why you came? You never had a beer at church? And you were like, I got to try that, right? Is that, is that why you came? My hope is this. Is that I hope you came because of something cool was going on here and you heard about it. But I hope you stay because there is a holy God who is calling us to repentance and sending us on mission. Take a look at this next, this next piece. This is, is the vision that he saw. It's a dream. We don't really know what it is. But it's something from God. And he says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Now the book of John says that no one has ever seen God. But somehow he is seeing a representation of the Lord. And he sees him sitting upon a throne. He has this, he's having some type of vision of, of some sort. He's a prophet. And it says, he sees him on this throne, high and lifted up. 
And the train of his robe fills the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. What are the seraphim? We don't know. But this is how it's described right here. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. It's a strange heavenly creature. This fiery creature. Is, is what the words actually mean there. And it says, And one called to another and said, And I, I don't think it's holy, 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 is, uh, is the Lord God Almighty, or is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. I think it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now imagine, if you can for just a second, like, I would be a little bit weirded out by that. I'm, I'm all of a sudden seeing this vision. There's these weird winged creatures. They're flying back and forth. The Lord is there. He's got this robe that just fills this temple, this room. And these things are singing, and they're yelling this, and they're talking about, like, this is who God is. Like, if, if there's anything that you can say about him, he is holy. He is holy, and he is holy. What does this mean? What should his response be? Jeremiah sees it, and he says, Woe is me! I am lost! The NIV, I like it better, says, Woe is me, I am ruined. I'm like to be in the presence of God with these angelic creatures to be sitting there in the presence of the holy God. He's immediately brought into this, this realization of contrast. This realization of like, here is the holy God and here I am. And I don't have a leg to stand on. I have nothing for God. I am I'm worthless. I'm unrighteous. I am ruined. I do not have what it takes. Listen. Listen. I wonder if the American church got so comfortable in our mega churches in our, in our amazing programs and all of that stuff that the holiness of God has become a distant thought. And now we've become consumer Christians who go to, go to things that, that meets my needs, that makes me feel better, my kids like it, whatever. Those are all good things. But I wonder if we didn't lose that he's holy and that I'm not. I wonder if we didn't lose that he is so far beyond what I am that I have nothing to offer and so here is this prophet, and God is bringing him to this moment so that he can see not the uncleanness of all of those dirty people out there that don't run our country in the way that we want them to, that are doing all of these things, that are trying to teach our kids all of those things, that are trying to, it's, it's, it's not out there. The man of God 
is standing there in front of God and he is saying, the problem's not up there. The first problem that I see is right here. I am the one who is ruined. I am the man of unclean lips. And think about that, unclean lips. What's he been doing? Gossiping? Did he, did he use some bad language? Why, why, does he, why is he using such an inconsequential way of sinning? I mean, because it's just even in the smallest ways that God cares about his holiness being projected. It's even in the smallest ways. It's even in the, just the smallest unkind word. The smallest, just the most minuscule comment. It's just, it's just the most, the, the smallest bit of gossip. It's just like he is holy. And not only do I have these other things wrong, but it's it's down to just the stuff that comes out of my mouth. Like this is what I'm experiencing. Like this God is so holy that fear reverberates through my body because of just simply the things that I said. This is the holiness of God. He says, woe is me, I am lost, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. It's not just me, but it's everybody around me. It's like the holiness of God shines this light that I see the fact that not only am I screwed up, but the world that I'm in is screwed up. And I have some serious problems. Why? Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Men and women, some of you have never received Jesus as your Savior. You do not want to enter into the presence of God without getting right with him. This man has unclean lips, and he comes into the presence of God, and he says, I am ruined because I have seen the king. Are we people who have seen the king? Are we people who see the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, in the Scriptures? Are we people who are seeking after to know and to understand the holiness of God? Or have we become complacent with, you know what, I, I, uh, I give a little bit to God and He gives me a little bit. And we forget that He has made us marvelously, marvelously successful and as a result, what happens is this, that sooner or later we begin to walk away and just say, you know, yeah, I, I, I acknowledge God, I give lip service to God, but the truth is, I don't live like I serve a holy God. I don't live like I serve the king of kings, like I've seen the king. And that my life would be ruined without his forgiveness, without his grace. See, that's the problem with the American church today. We got so big. We got so powerful. We got so great that it came down to man and his abilities to draw people into a room 
and to make sure that they keep giving and to make sure that they keep serving, to make, make sure this, that, and the other thing. And we have lost. We have lost because of it. He says, his eyes have seen the king. And here's the reality. The holiness of God brings the humility of repentance. The holiness of God brings the humility of repentance. What does our church need today? Our church needs a strong dose of the holiness of God so that we can say we are ruined without the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are ruined without him. He says... Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Let me explain that real quick. There's an altar in the temple. On that altar, there are coals, and they put sacrifices on that altar. This is Old Testament church, if you will. This is how it went. This is how you served God. You atoned for your sins by bringing a sacrifice to the temple. It went on, it went on the altar. That thing was sacrificed, and then that was, that was it. Your sins were atoned for, at least temporarily there. Now, he says that one of these seraphim had a pair of tongs. Where did he get the tongs? We don't know, all right? So he says he had a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What we see right here is we see the, the reality of this is that God's man sees the holiness of God. He's immediately brought to a place of just like even the smallest, most minuscule sin in my life is worthy of death. I'm ruined. I'm lost. I'm about to die because I've seen the king. And God sends one of his creatures and says, I'm going to take care of that. And he takes one of these coals, which pictures the judgment of God, and he sears his lips. And he's, he's saying this, like that sin is atoned for. That is taken care of. Now imagine for just a second that you are in this place of just absolute desperation of I've totally sinned. I'm, I'm sure that I am lost. I'm sure that I don't, I, I don't have any hope in life. And then all of a sudden, that moment comes where it's like you just realized the gospel. Some of you became Christians many years ago, and God saved you out of whatever it was. Some of you have recently become Christians, and God saved you out of that. And it was like he had taken this coal of judgment, and he touches your lips, and he says, your sins are done. They're atoned for. And it's the relief of the gospel. See, the gospel is the good news. What Isaiah saw there in the presence of God was the bad news. He just saw the good news that God atones for sins. What happens? Verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. What, what's, what's happening here? A guy named J.A. Moiter says this. He finds that being joined to God means joining a missionary society. He's been brought in in order to be sent out. Men and women, if you've experienced 
at all. A view of the holiness of God. And you've come to him and and you've said, Lord God, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your mercy. Then what happens next is proof of what just happened in your life. What happens next is proof of how God has saved you because of this. Because as soon as we receive the gospel, we're immediately brought into an understanding of this. That there are other people that don't know him. That there are other people who are lost. There are other people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to understand this. So God says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he says, here I am. Send me. Send me. It's like, it's such a weird thing because it's kind of like God is like, okay, Isaiah, I'm just kind of sitting here doing some thinking, and I have got this mission that I need somebody to go on, and uh, I just was kind of thinking, like, who, who do you think I should send? Who do you think I should send for us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Who would I, who would I send to do that? And Isaiah's like, I'm right here. Me, me, me. He's immediately brought to a place of wanting to be on mission. But I wonder if sometimes this part is left out from a sermon on Isaiah 6. Because the next part is difficult. You want to go on mission for me? You want to go and and serve me? You want to go and and be a part of my mission? And what what we want God to say is, hey, go out and preach the gospel, and you're going to be wildly successful. Like, people are going to hear the message of the gospel, they're going to hear about the holiness of God, and the grace of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're going to be like, I want that. That's what we want God to say, but that's not what God says here. What God says here, he said, okay, good. Now that you're my man, Now that you're my woman, here's what I want you to do. Go and say to this people, what people? The people who are in decline. The people who have forgotten all about God. The people like Uzziah who were helped out marvelously, but now are just on their own program, doing their own thing. He says, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Feels like the life verse of many of our children's ministry teachers. (laughs) I keep saying it, you don't listen. I keep saying it, you don't listen. But what God's doing here is He's saying this it's gonna be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to feel like you're all alone and no one is listening to you. It's going to feel like you have the wrong message because no one's believing. It's going to feel like you don't have what it takes. It's going to feel like, man, I must not be a very good Christian because no one wants what I got. It's going to feel like 
I keep saying the same thing and they keep rejecting me. I keep doing this, I keep doing this, I keep doing this. And God says, yeah. Why'd you get in this? Why'd you get into this? Let's talk for a second. Why'd you get into Christianity? Was it to get a bunch of success? It's a question that a lot of pastors have to answer, including me. Why'd you, why'd you take on a church? Was it so that you could be wildly successful? Or was it because a holy God called a sinful man to preach about his grace and his mercy? What, why did you get into this? And men and women, here's the thing. We have, joined, we, we have enjoyed years of prosperity as Christians in this world, in our nation. And those days may be short-lived. I don't know what it'll look like. But I can tell you this. It may not be all oh, sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. It may be difficult. But he says, I want you to keep bringing the truth about the holy God. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. It's a, I think it's a cryptic way of God saying, you're going to keep speaking the truth, and they're going to keep not listening. You're going to keep speaking it, and they're just not going to listen. But I want you to keep bringing the truth about the holy God to your people, no matter how much you think that's working, no matter how much you feel like it's doing. I want you to keep bringing the truth about the holy God. And what does that mean? You got kids that you don't feel like are listening to what you have to say? Keep bringing the truth. Keep bringing the truth. Keep bringing the holy God to bear. You got a coworker that you've been trying to share Jesus with? Keep bringing the truth. Just keep bringing it. Keep bringing it. Keep bringing it. You stay strong. Everyone else is falling away. Most churches have lost 30 to 50% of people, I think. The church has shrunk, but the church hasn't really shrunk. Have a lot of people in the church that weren't really here because of the holiness of God and his grace for them. Keep bringing the truth, no matter what happens. This is what he says next. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant. Wow. And houses without people. And the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. What does that mean? It means I want you to keep doing this and keep doing this and keep doing this. Keep bringing the message of the gospel, the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ on the cross. I want you to keep bringing it. I want you to keep bringing it. And the world is going to fall apart around you. But you know what's going to take place? Is that there is going to be a faithful remnant. Do you see what he, what he said? It's going to be like an oak that has been chopped down. It's been felled. And there's just going to be a stump. You know what's happened with Christianity? The oak has been chopped down. And now there's just a stump. 
here we are, the stump. Our church isn't shrinking, it's growing. But what God's calling us to is this, is to be a faithful remnant, to be the faithful few that regardless of whether they listen, regardless of what they hear, regardless of what happens, no matter how much success we have, no matter whether this church grows or whether it shrinks, we are faithfully seeing the holiness of God my inability to save myself, and God's amazing grace. He has called us to this. And it is, it is about making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Outward Church is a part of a network called Acts 29. And we are a church that plants churches, that plants churches, and in that we make disciples, we make disciples, who grow up to, make, uh, to uh, start churches that make churches, and make disciples that make disciples. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're about. So when you came in the doors this morning, or whenever you decided to come to Outward Church in Silverton, I'm, you, maybe you came because of the barn, or because of the beer, or because of the barbecue. I don't know which one it was, but I hope you'll stay because of the holy God that is here and that you would experience his presence and that you would deeply engage yourself in the life of Jesus Christ, that you would deeply engage in discipleship, that you would not just come and attend, but that you would be discipled and that you would disciple others, that you would be someone who's deeply invested in the life of the church, and that what that does look like is, is it does look like giving financially. It does look like serving. It does look like attending. Those things are true. But we're not doing it just to have a party every Sunday. We're doing it because of this holy God. This holy, holy, holy God. Who's called us to himself. So that we can serve the true king. So that we can see that politics is not king. Because we now see that sex and sex identity is not king. So that we can see that our way of life is not king. Jesus is our king. And he has graciously given of himself on the cross. He has sacrificed himself and given us the greatest gift that we've ever received. My hope this morning is that you would have an experience with the living God. That you would get a vision of his holiness. Your inability to be good and to be righteous before him. And that you'd experience the, that he is the only one that can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Through the cross. I want to invite Tim up here as we uh, uh, wrap up the service and uh, talk through a couple of things here uh, real briefly. Nice job, brother. This is my brother.